0: Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a
1: verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John. This program is the 11th in this series. In the previous program, I spoke about John chapter 3, where Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus about being born again. This is found in John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then Nicodemus responds by asking, how can a person be born again when he is old? And in the previous program, I explained why Nicodemus would ask a question like that, because there were six different ways, according to Pharisaical Judaism, that a person could be born again. And Nicodemus was born again and again and again, according to Pharisaical Judaism, in all the ways that he could have possibly been born again. Jesus told him he had to be born again. And what he meant by that was that Nicodemus would need to receive the Holy Spirit of God and be born again, be made alive by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus told Nicodemus, and he did not necessarily believe or completely understand what Jesus was saying. But at least they had this conversation, and Jesus was able to explain a little bit about what he meant. In verse 9, Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? So in verse 10, Jesus continues, and he explains a little bit more to Nicodemus. But what I would like you to see at the moment is that Jesus did not explain everything to Nicodemus. He did use the expression, born again. He did speak of the Spirit of God and that you had to be born by the Spirit of God, by the life of God dwelling within you. In verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit, not necessarily to hear the sound of it, but that you don't know where it's coming from. You don't know where it goes. You just have to believe the truth that the Holy Spirit will come and dwell within you, make you alive, make you a child of God, make you born again. Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? So what I want you to see is that Jesus says a little bit. And Nicodemus did not embrace all that Jesus had to say to him in this small part of the conversation. There is a lot more to the gospel than just saying that a person is born again or to tell a person that they have to be born again. There is much more to say. There is much more to understand. Proceeding into verse 10, it says that Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. Now, this is a very important statement. Jesus received Nicodemus at night. Nicodemus told Jesus that he believed that Jesus was sent by God. So... Jesus spoke to Nicodemus and told him something, but then Nicodemus did not understand completely what Jesus was explaining, or he did not necessarily believe what he was saying, but Jesus responds and he says, you do not receive our witness. We know what we're talking about. I know what I am talking about, and you are not willing to receive my testimony, And then he continues in verse 12. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Jesus spoke to him about earthly things, and Nicodemus found it difficult to believe what Jesus had to say. Now, what he was saying was that the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit would be an earthly thing. That when the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within a person, this is an earthly thing. This is something that happens here on earth. It happens while we are still physically alive, to make us spiritually alive. And Jesus refers to this as an earthly thing, something that's going to happen here and now and continue into the future, but that there is also so much more that Jesus can tell him about, namely heavenly things, other things, you know, there's a lot more to say. There's a lot more to understand. There's a lot more to believe in. And Jesus is more than willing to share that with Nicodemus, just as our God through the Lord Jesus is willing to share with us all kinds of things. But if we are not willing to receive and understand and believe and trust in the things that he has already had to say, and what more do you expect him to say? Now, he, of course, may say a little bit more. I'm not saying that he won't. But I am saying that it is very important to believe those things that our God has revealed to us clearly, those things that he has revealed clearly that are understandable, that are things that we can believe and trust in. It's important to acknowledge those things and understand those things, because those are things that he will use To explain other things later on. In verse 13, no one has ascended to heaven but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So Jesus does continue. He says, look, if I've already told you something, and you're not going to believe that, then, how can I tell you other things? Well, here's something that he can speak of. He can explain this. He can express this. And Nicodemus can consider this. And that is a symbolic representation. That there was a symbol that God gave long ago that Jesus can use in order to explain something else. That's what he does. He takes the serpent. That was presented in the wilderness. Now this comes from Numbers, Numbers chapter 21 verses 5 through 9. And I'm going to go ahead and read that from Numbers chapter 21 beginning in verse 5. It says, And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole, and so it was. If a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. That's what happened. And Jesus uses this as a symbolic representation, as a symbol to speak about something else. This is something that I think we should really pay attention to, that the Lord responded to their complaining. He responded. They said, we're all going to die. And the Lord responded and said, okay, well, how about if I participate in this? He sent deadly poisonous snakes To kill them. You want to die? You think you're going to die? Here, let's have some serpents in your life who will kill you. We'll just do it right now, right here in the wilderness. You want to die? This is how you feel about things. You don't like the way things are going. You don't like wandering around in the wilderness, which is the consequence of your unbelief beforehand. And so the Lord sent the serpents and the serpents were killing people. So the people responded and they said, we have sinned. We acknowledge that we have sinned and we are asking you to help us. We're asking you to do something about this because clearly they could do nothing themselves. And we understand this when it comes to the gospel. We understand that we have sinned, that there is nothing we can do about it ourselves. And that we genuinely need the grace of God. And so Jesus refers to what happened back then so that he can explain what he is doing now. Now, the Lord could have responded to this in many different ways. He could have just eliminated the serpents. They could have just gone away. He could have done anything. He could have sent special frogs or other serpents to go and kill these serpents. He could have done all kinds of things. But this is what he did. And I really believe that he did this so that one day he could personally show up and say, you know, just as there was the serpent, the bronze serpent, that was lifted up on the pole, so also I will be lifted up on a pole in response to sin, in response to the circumstance that you people are dead or dying, and there is nothing that can be done except for me to do something about it. I really believe that God established the bronze serpent just for this purpose. Like I said, he could have done so many other creative things in order to respond to this circumstance. But this is what he did, and I believe he did that so that he could one day speak to Nicodemus while his disciples were listening. And in verse 14, he said, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That that happened so that at this time there could be a fulfillment with regards to the foreshadowing that was presented by this symbolic representation of how God would deal with sin. Just as God dealt with sin back then, he would deal with sin now. But in this case, he was the one who would be lifted up on the pole, referring to the crucifixion, in order to deal with sin, to resolve the sin issue. So, Jesus speaks to Nicodemus about the importance of being born again, and then he explains that the sin issue is part of this, that this is something that has to be resolved as part of being born again. You are to be born again because you have to be recreated. You have to be made alive. You really are in a condition where you are dead and you must be made alive. And in order to be made alive, the sin issue must be resolved. So that in verse 15, he says that whoever believes in him, referring to God manifested in the flesh, the son of man, the Lord Jesus himself, who is there, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So the people in the wilderness, they were given life. God gave them life even though they were complaining about their concern that they were going to die. So God gave them life. He demonstrated to them that He had an interest in them staying alive. So stop complaining. Stop speaking to the Lord about your discomfort, about your dissatisfaction, about your concern that you're going to die. The Lord does have an interest in you being made alive. But that was not an eternal life. That was a temporary life. What the Lord Jesus is speaking about now is an eternal life. Now, for there to be the need for eternal life says clearly that the people do not have eternal life, that Nicodemus does not have eternal life, that unless one is born again, they do not have eternal life. And that's very important to understand and to realize that just because you're a Jew doesn't mean you have eternal life. Just because you believe that Jesus was sent by God, that doesn't mean you have eternal life. Just because you go and visit with him, just because you go see him, just because you speak with him, just because he speaks with you, that he may do great things with you, that he might even heal you of something that would otherwise kill you, that you would otherwise die. Just because that happens doesn't mean that you have eternal life. Eternal life was initially established when God created Adam and Eve. That was when eternal life was established for humanity. When he created Adam and Eve, he breathed within them the breath of life, which is a unique construction of words, that describe the Holy Spirit of God, the divinity of life, the divine grammatical construction of plurality that refers to the divine presence within Adam and Eve. It was the Holy Spirit. That was how they became alive. They were spiritually alive. They had the eternal presence of God within them. God gave the law in Genesis chapter two verse seventeen. In Genesis chapter two verse seven he speaks about the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, them being made alive. In verse seventeen he gives them the law and says that in the day that you eat from the wrong tree, in that day you will surely die. And they did in chapter three. In Genesis chapter three they did die, but you may notice that they were still physically alive. That is because they died spiritually. The eternal life that they had was lost. They had physical life, just as the children of Israel had physical life, just as Nicodemus has physical life as he was born of water. But that is not spiritual life, that is not the Holy Spirit, that is not the life of God that makes you into a new creation, that makes you into a child of God through being born again. That is what you need. You need the Holy Spirit, you need the Spirit of God to dwell within you and make you alive and that is your eternal life. Then you will live eternally, then you will see the kingdom of God And you will be there for all eternity. So in verse 15, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. But again, what are you going to believe? Nicodemus believed that Jesus was sent by God. But just because you believe that Jesus was sent by God, that doesn't mean that you have eternal life. You could ask the devil that question. If you were to ask the devil, do you believe that Jesus was sent by God? The devil would say, yeah, I believe that. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Sure, I believe that. Do you believe that Jesus is God manifested in the flesh? The devil would say, yeah, I believe that. Do you believe that there is no way that you will ever see the kingdom of God Unless you are born again, and the devil would say, well, for you, I believe that. Yes, that's true. That's exactly right. You can ask the devil questions like this all day long, and he will tell you that he believes, but that is not what saves a person. That is not the criteria for having eternal life. In order to have eternal life, you must be born again. You must be indwelt by the Holy Spirit, but you must also Depend on the complete forgiveness of sins. That just as the serpent was lifted up, the bronze serpent was lifted up on a pole, you must depend on the Lord Jesus being lifted up on a pole through the crucifixion where he died for the sins of the world. You must believe and trust in your God that he has resolved the sin issue for you In this way, just as the sin issue was resolved through the bronze serpent for the Israelites, so the sin issue is resolved for you through the Lord Jesus and the crucifixion. Once the sin issue is resolved, there is no sin that will ever cause the Holy Spirit to depart from within you again. Once the sin issue is resolved, if you are made alive... If you are made alive and you are born again, there is no way for you to die. You have eternal life. And so Jesus speaks to Nicodemus about having eternal life, about having the Holy Spirit restored, and about the fact that the sin issue is what will make this possible. That's what will make this possible. So Nicodemus Asked him, how can these things be? And Jesus explains, these things can be because the sin issue will be resolved. And so when the Holy Spirit dwells within you, there will be no sin left unforgiven that will cause the Holy Spirit to depart from within you again. Continuing into verse 16, this is John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But believing in him is a package deal. It's not just believing in him as a person. It's not just believing in him as the son of God or as God manifested in the flesh. It's about believing in what he did, what he did for you. It's about believing in the problem and the solution, acknowledging the problem, receiving the solution. It is about understanding what your God is offering you. It is about understanding your depravity and his sufficiency. It's about understanding the gospel. Sin, death, forgiveness, and the restoration of life. That's what the gospel is about. The gospel is about sin, death, Forgiveness and the restoration of life. And that this is what Jesus accomplished. And so if you're going to believe in Jesus, believe in what he accomplished. If you don't believe in what he accomplished, if you don't know what he accomplished, then you're not believing in the right Jesus. You can believe in any Jesus. I know a dentist whose name is Jesus. I know a shoemaker whose name is Jesus. There are a lot of Jesuses out there. You've got to believe in the right one and in what he does, what he did, what he did for you, what he's going to do for you. You've got to know the right one, that there is a lot more than just saying, well, you just believe you're just born again. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean? You must embrace the fullness of what that means. Now, I understand that we have to embrace this a little bit at a time. Nicodemus had to understand that he needed to be born again. He had to understand the significance of Jesus being lifted up as the bronze serpent was for his sins. Those are steps that a person has to go through in order to get to the point where they can be saved by our God according to the gospel. And what's important to see is that God did this because he loves, because he loves us, because he loves you. He loves you in a way that he provides a solution to a problem. Now, just as the Israelites died from being bitten by the poisonous snakes, not all of them lived. God provided a solution out of his love. But that did not mean that everyone lived. There were many who died. So also, just as God has provided a solution for humanity so that we may see the kingdom of God and be a part of the kingdom of God and have everlasting life, that doesn't mean that everybody's going to receive what God is offering. God loves them, and he's provided a solution. But we as people, as individuals, We must accept, receive, we must surrender to the solution that God has provided. In verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now, why wouldn't he come into the world to condemn the world? Because the world is already in a condemned condition. Now, Jesus certainly did have a lot to say that was condemning. He had plenty to say that condemned individuals, but that was for the purpose of explaining to them that they were already in a condemned condition. That was the state they were already in. He was speaking to them so that they would understand that they had a problem, that they were condemned by God so that they could receive the solution, the love of God. He was not sent so that people would be condemned. He was sent to inform people that they were already condemned and to present to them a solution to this condemnation, to this eternal death. And the solution was his death in their place so that he could provide them with eternal life, a life that would dwell within them eternally. Thank you for listening. This program is the 11th program in the verse by verse study on the Gospel of John. In this program, I spoke about John 3.16 and the importance of believing in Jesus in terms of the fullness of the Gospel. So that when we say whoever believes in Him, we have more of a clear definition about what it means to believe in Him so that a person can have eternal life. That is not just enough to say that you believe in Jesus, just as Nicodemus. He certainly believed in Jesus, that Jesus was sent by God, but he needed to believe the gospel, to understand the gospel, and to surrender to the new covenant that went into effect.